passage for us. We're going to be reading John 1, verses 19 through 34. John 1, 19 through 34. And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. Pray with me. Lord, you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You are like we sang, our Redeemer, you have trampled death, and we praise you this morning for those things. God, we desire this morning and always to be in your presence and to point to your glory. I pray this morning for our time, and John, this morning and during the rest of our time, I pray that you just awaken us a new love for the gospel, the truth that Jesus was and is the sacrificial lamb that takes our place. I ask that just as John knew exactly who Jesus was, that as we go through this study, you give us an equally clear understanding of who he is. God, please remove any distractions that might be keeping us from fully hearing what you have for us this morning. We are here with open hands, God. I pray that you transform our hearts, that your spirit fills this room. Help us to seek your spirit always. We love you, Lord, amen. Amen. All right, so uh, we have a fun text this morning to cover. Uh, hopefully, if uh, you're not already tuned in to John 1, 19 through 34, that's where we're going to be camped at this morning. Uh, I encourage you, open your Bible and, uh, and, and follow along with me as uh, we look at this very, very important text. We're in our uh, second week here in the book of John. Last week was uh, what we called the prologue, and, and this is where John, the, the, who, the author of the Gospel of John, uh, really introduced, here's the, the trailer, here's everything we're going to cover uh, over the course of this book. 
and then and and as way of introduction, and then today we're really getting into the the meat of the text, and we're beginning this journey. And I would just encourage you, if you haven't already, uh, grab one of these journals on the Gospel of John. Take notes. I uh, met with someone last week, and I I just told them. Uh, the very process that is outlined here, read, examine, apply, do, this is the process I follow every single week when I'm preparing a sermon. So I'm, I'm reading the text, I'm, I'm, my eyes are combing, I'm observing the text, I'm trying to seek what is it that, that kind of jumps off the page at me. I examine the text, I begin to ask questions, I ask, why, what, what was the author's original intent? Why would the author put this information in here? What is the, the problem or what, what is the, the author trying to proclaim? What is he telling us about Jesus? What is he telling us about God? What is he telling us about ourselves? And so we ask questions of the text. Why did he use this word? Why is that you, word used so often? And, and many of these things are, are reasons why uh, that, that we're going to kind of emphasize certain aspects of this text. If you look at the very end of this passage and you see how many times John says, see, see, saw, seen, beheld, like all of these images, there's something he's trying to gravitate this this attention towards this idea of gaining this portrait, this picture of Jesus. And that really jumped off to the the page to me this week. And so that's what I want to help us do. I think that's one of the aims that I really want to help accomplish this morning. And then we're asking the question, apply. How how does this apply? And, And I hope you know, like I never get up here and, and, and just like go through the motions. Every week I'm asking the Lord to really help apply this to my heart. Flood my heart with this truth. What is it in this word that, that cha- challenges and transforms my life? I don't want to read just for information, but transformation, right? And so if I were to ask you, what's the last text What's the last biblical passage or verses that you've read that have changed the way that you live? And I hope that you can account for something that maybe you've read this past week, this past few days, that there's some sort of transformation. We're not reading just to know the words on these page, but to know the Jesus of the Bible and ask him to transform and change us. And then do. What, what am I asking the Lord to do in me, but what am I going to go and do in light of this? And, and that's what I just encourage you and what's outlined in this journal and just encouraging you guys to read through, process through, walk through each and every week. And what I would tell you as I did that this week and as I walked through this text, what I believe the author's intention is in writing this passage is... When someone beholds Jesus, encounters Jesus, meets Jesus, follows Jesus, their life has changed forever. Forever. And if we were to jump in, we're going to see that this guy, John the Baptist, not John the author of this gospel, it's kind of confusing, right? Two Johns right out of the gate. I'll explain. But this is John the Baptist writing and giving us a portrait and picture of like, this is who Jesus is. And he gives us some very in-depth information, like some theology that we need to really grasp and understand if we're going to know this character about Jesus. It's important that we don't just have the name, but we actually know the person, Jesus. You've heard me describe like, if, if you were like, well, who'd you go home with last night? And I'm like, well, I went home with a girl named Amber. 
it's going to be important that we make sure it's really amber, right? Okay. Ladies, is that right? Right. Okay. You're with me. There's a lot of people who use the name of Jesus, but don't have the accurate picture, portrait, the actual person that's described in the Bible. This is who Jesus is. We need to know who Jesus is. John the Baptist met him. John the Baptist is going to unfold him. John the Baptist is going to help us experience. When you meet Jesus, it changes your life. Have you ever met someone and it changed your life forever? I, I, yeah, Jesus, hopefully that's the story. All right, you get it. That's... You took away my illustration, all right? We're getting there. We're getting there. That's good. I I think back over the course of my life, and I think of opportunities I've had to sit across the table from people. I think about when I first became a follower of Jesus, and uh, one of the first, like, instrumental people in my life was my college pastor. His name's Bill Clemenson, and Bill like, he, he invested in my life. He was always asking me, hey, what's, what's the Lord teaching you? And I'm like, he's, he's supposed to be teaching me something? You know, I mean, it was just a journey. He began to walk with me, a process. He was one of the first people who I shared with that I felt called to ministry, and he navigated that process with me and invested in my life. My life is forever changed because of him. I think of people like Bill Wellens and Steve Snyder who invested in me when I was going through Fellowship Associates, and as older men who began to just pour into my life over the course of a year and just invest in, in, in who I am and helping me have self-awareness and in leadership. They just begin investing and in, in pouring into my life. I think about people like Todd Moore and Jeff Vanderstelt who really begin to teach me and sit across the table and help me understand what it means to participate in the everyday mission of God. And, and that, was, that was fascinating that it wasn't something, mission wasn't just something I plan or schedule on the calendar, that every day God God has a mission for me. And to have my eyes open and ready and looking for opportunities. And I think about even today, guys like Robert Marshall, who we had uh, teach in our Ecclesiastes series, somebody who sits across the table and invests in these men, these people, these, these guys that God has, has brought and, and gifted me with, they've, they've been a blessing. They've, they've changed me. They've transformed me because of their words, because of their investment, because of their time. But as it's the cat's already out of the bag, right? No one has the type of impact that Jesus has in the life of a person. Jesus meets people and their lives are transformed. John the Baptist met Jesus and his life was transformed. And what's fascinating is John the Baptist met Jesus in the womb. All right? Now, Side note, there's a lot going on talking about like what, what does in the womb matter. I'm telling you, John the Baptist met, met Jesus in the womb, and it mattered. It was significant. I'm just going to say that. We'll keep going. Uh, but, but here's what I would say. This is the testimony of John. That's how this starts out. This is the testimony of John. What, what John, the gospel writer, is saying is this is the testimony of John the Baptist. Two different people. This is the testimony. This is the witness. This is the words. This is how we know Jesus is who he says he is because John the Baptist met him and John the Baptist's life was transformed by him. And because of that, we can trust his testimony. And because of that, I want to proclaim and tell you his story so that you can have and, and be moved to that place of faith. And that's, that's what testimonies are. They're meant to stir us to belief and faith 
And, and so that we would believe. And that's actually John, the, the writer of this gospel, that's his intention. It said in John 20, 31, I've written these things to you so that you may believe and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why he's written this, this, this book. And so we have a testimony of John the Baptist. And you're like, why John the Baptist? Well, because he was the baptizer, all right? That's the first time that that word's ever been used. John was baptizing. And we're going to talk about why was that significant? But John the Baptist is here, and this is his testimony. And if you're like maybe I was, uh, you're like, at one point, you're like, who's John the Baptist? And we need to understand a little bit of his backstory. John the Baptist, where, where, where we first see, and, and what John's gospel doesn't take into account, it doesn't take in some of the backstory. So we've got to go to another one of the gospel accounts. So we're going to look in Luke. In Luke chapter 1, we see this is where John the Baptist first kind of enters the picture in Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, verse 5 through 7, it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Beha, and his, had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Okay, so we have Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God. Now, I, I want you to hear this. It, I think this text is important, particularly on a day like Mother's Day, uh, because I want you to hear their story in, in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth. It, it says that they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all of the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child. Now, this is significant because I know that there are many in the room who have struggled with infertility. And, I, and I, I note this this morning because this presents itself in our text this morning. And, and I know there, there's a lot of thoughts and, and, and just the emotions that are tied with this, this, this journey of infertility. And it's challenging. And days like Mother's Day are really difficult. But I think it's commonplace for many of us to think in that journey of going, is it because of something I've done? Is it because of something? Is this something that I've brought upon myself? Is it, is it because I've sinned or I've, I've done something in some way that God has caused this? And here's what I want you to hear me say. It's not because of that. What we read in this text and what we see jump right out of the page here is they are righteous. They're walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child. Now, I don't know if that process makes it any easier or significant, but what I would tell you is that they are leaning in, that they're pressing in. We don't know why. We don't know why they're barren. We don't know why they have no child, but it is a loss, and it's real, and they're grieving that. There's emotions that are tied to that, and in all this process, they just continue to pursue the Lord. They pursued the Lord. In verse 11, it says, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side. And this is Zechariah. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And I think that's comfort to all of us, that God hears our prayers. Do not be afraid, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name 
John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, because he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Significant. And he will turn away many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, which is why the Pharisees are going to come to, to John the Baptist in our text, and they're going to be like, are you Elijah? The reason why is because he has the power of Elijah. He has the power in the way he's proclaiming, and the, the message is going forth. It says, he'll go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To, look at this task. What an amazing role and responsibility to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. I love that. I, I, I'm like, if there's anything that I want my life to be about, if there's anything that, that I'm given a role and task to do in this world, it's to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. What a, what a great testimony. What an amazing calling upon his life. And, and if you keep reading in the, in the Gospel of Luke, you'll see at the same time, Mary and Joseph are going to be found with child. And, and you're going to hear that process. And we read all the way down in Luke 139, it talks about Mary meeting Elizabeth, and it says, the baby leaped in her womb. And so, you know, they're standing there both with pregnant bellies, and it's like John the Baptist and Jesus are meeting for the first time. This is crazy. Just to imagine, to picture, to, to think about the journey that both of these men are going to, like, they're, they're about to come onto the scene. They're going to break into the world and the journey that's going to take place in their life. It's just crazy to think about. But you think about this role, this responsibility, <laughs> and it's going to change the trajectory of John's life forever. Now, I get that, like, I, I, I'm doing something today that, that probably out of the gates, you're going to go, like, man, that's really setting the bar really high. Here's what I'm saying. And I, and I, I think you've got to be careful when you're, you're preaching a text because a lot of times we, we model people like, hey, look at David. David threw a stone and killed a giant. You should be like David and, like, knock down your giants, all right, and go get them. And it's like really inspirational, and you feel fired up, and then you go face your giant, and you get slayed. And you're like, what in the world? My pastor tried to encourage me to like go slay giants with stones, you know? And it's like, well, did you do it? Like, the, was the Lord with you? Because the Lord was with David, so maybe he wasn't with you, and that's why you, okay? You get it? Now, here's the thing. What I'm telling you is, I'm setting the bar high. I get it. John the Baptist, right? And, and I'm going... Hey, let's all be like John the Baptist. And I think he's a great target. I think he's a great person to like aspire to be. I, I think when it look at like someone who's been a, a true disciple and follower of Jesus, he's someone we should model our lives after. I think we need to be careful though to, to, to read into the story and go like in, in what power, in what name, and, and how did John the Baptist accomplish and walk out faithfully what the Lord called him to do. But I think there's some things that we are to follow. And I think when we ask ourselves, what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus? I think John the Baptist really tells us, hey, here's what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. Here's what it looks like as someone who's met Jesus, 
who beheld Jesus, who has seen Jesus, and is now living for Jesus, this is what it looks like. And I think it would be worthwhile to kind of assess or evaluate what would it look like for us to live in that way? What would it look like for us to give our lives to prepare the way for the Lord, to prepare a people for the Lord? So we're going to look at this John the Baptist character. Here's what I would start with. Let's talk about the man, all right? The man. Now, I don't mean this like ladies like, oh, come on, man. He's Justin, he's just talking to the men. No, I'm just talking about the person. I'm not talking about gender here. I'm talking about the personhood, the character of John the Baptist, the man John the Baptist. Who is he? What's he like? And I would tell you out of the gates, number one, he's a spirit-filled man. It tells, tells us in Luke that we just read that he was filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. Now, when we look at all that John the Baptist accomplished, and we're like, man, he's an amazing person, and we hold him up like he accomplished nothing apart from the Spirit of God. And I hope what you're going to see is like when we look at Jesus and we go, Jesus didn't accomplish anything that he accomplished apart from the Spirit of God. Which should tell us that if we're going to accomplish anything in this world, Nothing is going to be accomplished apart from the Spirit of God. We must be filled with the Spirit. That's important. John the Baptist is a Spirit-filled man. He's also a bold man. John the Baptist is a bold man. If you go over in your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Flip over there. In Luke chapter 7, uh, there, there's this this. this Jesus is, is, is there. Jesus is healing. Jesus is performing miracles. And we, we see that messengers are sent again to figure out who this John the Baptist character is. Now, what we're going to get to is a point where Jesus looks to these people and says, Hey, I want to tell you, this John the Baptist guy, among those born of women, none is greater than him. Now, that's quite a testimony. If if anybody gives a testimony, like the one that we should take into consideration, Jesus should probably be like up there on the list, right? Like Jesus is, is telling us, hey, of all the people born of women, okay? And, and just in case you're wondering, um, only, only women can birth babies. That's interesting. Jesus said, of, of all people born of women, no, none greater than John the Baptist. Now, if we look back in verse, Luke chapter 7, verse 24, it says, When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds, and he said, What did you go out into the wilderness see? So here's what I want you to to hear. John the Baptist is out preaching. Now, he didn't go into like the town square where all the people are. He's out in the wilderness, okay? So he's outside of town, and, you know, he's in Tooele, all right? If you live in Tooele, we love love you, but it's outside of town, all right? I'm just trying to give you a picture, a reference, all right? So he's outside of town, and it's, it's kind of like it's out of the way, But people are going to see what this guy has to say. He was a bold man. There was something that he was proclaiming 
that, that people are going, I don't know, we got to go see what this guy's talking about. And so people are going out of their way. It's not convenient. They're going out of their way. They're going out into the wilderness. They're, they're going out to hear this guy's message. And Jesus goes, what did you do? Did you go out and what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Now, we can take that in two different ways. And I don't know what's correct, but I'll tell you the two ways. And I like the second one better because it's more fun. All right, so here's what I tell you. Number one, did you just go out to just see natural things like the wind up and Now, I would tell you. What'd you do? Go out and see a pansy fellow preaching the word of God? No. He's like, you went out to see a man of God. See, that one's way more fun, right? He's like, he's not spineless. He's someone who has a backbone. He's somebody who the wind doesn't move. Wind does. He's like, he doesn't wear luxurious, you know, my shirt's made out of 50-50, you know, 50 polyester, 50. He's like, he doesn't wear soft clothes like those who live in luxury, He's not someone who serves himself. Like Jesus is, is speaking about this man, John the Baptist. He says, he's not a man. Did you go out to see a man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing live in luxury. They're in king's courts. What, what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you more than a prophet. And this is where he says, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. He's a bold man. He's a bold man. He's proclaiming this news. I believe the world is still looking for people like this, by the way. People who will testify. People who will will preach the truth. People who will stand up for things in culture that the that's not popular, that the majority of folks are, are not joining. And you're like, well, hey, maybe that's not, that, that's not loving. And, and I'm like, the most loving thing we can do is tell people the truth in love. As Jesus preached and Jesus came, it says he preached in both grace and truth. We need to model that. The third thing is he's a dependent man. This man, John the Baptist, he's a dependent man. In verse 19 in John 1, where we're actually getting into the text now, he says, and this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Now, John is, is, has become very popular at this point in time, okay? John the Baptist, like, if, if we want to use common terminology, he's gone viral, okay? So he, he, 
his reel has gotten out onto Instagram and and like it's blown up. Like people are are wanting to follow his message. They're they're going, what is who is this guy? This bold man, this this person, like he's speaking, you know, with the truth, the spirit-filled man. I, w- I want to see who this guy is. And so they send a committee. The Pharisees send a committee. They send a group of people, hey, go out and find out who this guy is. And so they come to him and they ask, Who are you? His answer, I'm not the Christ. And I find it super interesting because they, it, it's in many ways, they didn't come like, hey, are you the Christ? And no, they just said, who are you? And he's like, I'm, I'm not the Christ. This is someone who I believe is very dependent. He's dependent. And what I mean by that is how often you and I, we may not come and, and say, I'm the Christ, but we live in such a way or we participate in such a way or we have standards upon our lives where we try to be the Christ. I I want you to practice something with me today, okay? I'm going to ask a question here in just a second, and your response verbally back to me out loud is, I'm not the Christ, okay? Are you ready? Who are you? Oh, man, that's so, that's freeing, right? Doesn't that feel good? Aren't you glad that you don't have to be the Christ? Hey, who are you? We're getting good at this. I hope that we're able to walk out these doors today and we're truly able to believe that about ourselves because Monday morning's coming and tomorrow morning, I know I do, and I know this stuck out to me. When I read these words, I am not the Christ, I can't tell you how often I, as a, as a pastor, as a shepherd, I try to be the Christ. I try to be the Christ in your life. I try to be your place of security, your place of answer, your place of discipleship, your place of hope, your place of I just want to, if I can just fix it, if I can step in, if I can engage, if I can be involved enough, then, then you'll truly be healed. Then you'll truly be set free. And man, if I can take a breath and just say, I'm not the Christ. So who are you? Okay, hey, I want you to look at the person sitting next to you. You may have to yell it down the row if you're not anywhere close. And, and just tell the, tell the person next to you, because sometimes they think you're the Christ. They have expectations of you. They think you're the Christ. And, and, and so I need you to look at them and, and just go, hey, I want you to know I'm not the Christ. Go ahead. All right. And then, and then you got to say it back to them. I'm not the Christ. We're getting really good at this. Church, hear me. There is a place of neediness, of dependency that we can all Learn from John the Baptist here. To be able to open our hands and go, I'm a needy person. I don't have all the answers. I was talking to a pastor this last week, and he said, I, I, there's so many times I just get overwhelmed. I'm, I'm inundated with questions. I, I feel like I'm, I'm just inadequate. What do I do? And praise God that he had me in this text because I had a great answer, and I said, I think we just have to constantly be reminded that we're not the Christ, which means 
we can look at our neighbor and tell them I'm not the Christ, and our, our neighbor needs to know not to have those expectations upon us, which means I'm going to mess up, which means I'm going to struggle, which means I'm going to be challenged, which means my capacity is not going to be able to, to be unlimited. I am not the Christ. And with that simple statement, he, he preaches an identity He preaches a message of dependency upon God the Father in that moment that is so freeing. But he's not also a dependent man. He's a humble man. You're going to see his humility jump out of the page right here in verse 27 because they continue to ask the question, who are you, who are you, who are you? Are you a prophet? Are you? And he's like, no. And, it, and rightfully so, it says he's going to come in the spirit of Elijah. He's going to come in the power of Elijah the prophet. And he goes, look, the, the one who's coming after me, I'm not even worthy to untie a sandal. This is a man who knows his place. Now, I would love to say for all of us, Given the opportunity to, like, who are you? I'm going, oh, man, hope you're ready. I got a whole paragraph for you, you know? Like, and I'm, I'm going to tell you about all of my achievements and, and you know, here, here's what I've done. Here's, here's where I've come from. Let me tell you my, my, my past work experience, and I'm just giving you the whole story, right? And this is a humble man. Someone, like... I, I, given the opportunity, given the platform, most of us would not step back into the shadow and point to Jesus the way that this man did. Verse 19, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. It's interesting how that's phrased, but he's basically going, <coughs> I need to make it really clear here. I am not the Christ. What then? Are you Elijah? I'm not. Are you the prophet? No. You're like, just give us an answer. Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He doesn't have anything to say about himself. He has no identity. I I think of how often, and I'm guilty. I'm guilty. We've spent countless hours and dollars to build an identity for ourselves, to build a platform for ourselves. And here, in the midst of going viral and popularity and people gathering around, he uses it as an opportunity to point to Jesus. He's a humble man. C.S. Lewis says this. If you were to meet a truly humble person, we would never come away from that meeting thinking they were humble. They would not always be telling us they were nobody because a person who keeps saying they're nobody is actually a self-obsessed person. The thing we would remember from meeting a truly gospel humble person is how much they seem to be totally interested in us because the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself, it is thinking of myself less. 
Gospel humility is not needing to think about myself, not needing to connect things with myself. How often in stories do we're like, oh, yeah, I got a story for that. I got something I can tie into that. I don't have, does, does this make me look good? Do I want to be here? True gospel humility means I stop connecting every experience, every conversation with myself. In fact, I stop thinking about myself. The freedom of self-forgetfulness. I love that. And here's what I would tell you this morning. That an encounter with Jesus, that truly seeing Jesus the way John the Baptist saw Jesus, is what leads us to a place of self-forgetfulness, which frees us up. John the Baptist knows his place. That's the man. What's his message? His message is this. In verse 21, it says, They asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, No. Are you the prophet? No. They said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer. What do you say about yourself? Here's what he said. I am the voice. It doesn't even talk about his prayer. He's just saying, I'm just a voice. I'm just a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. What's the message? Make straight the way of the Lord. I'm a voice. Let me ask you this morning, would you be satisfied just being the voice? Just being a voice. Just being a voice of one who who proclaims, make straight the way of the Lord. Would Would that be satisfying? Would we feel like our role is significant, that our only role is just to point people to Jesus? We're just a voice. We're just the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. What is your message? When people think about, like, what, what do you talk about? What is it that, that consumes you? I, I think about my life. And you've experienced this. You're like, that dude loves CrossFit, all right? That guy, that guy loves CrossFit. He loves his kids. He talks about his kids. Talks about his family. He loves his church. He talks about his church. And these are all good things. And you should love those things. But I'm just wondering, what does it look like for our, our conversation, our our gospel, our language, what we speak to be consumed with the good news of Jesus. When I, when I think about someone who modeled this in, in our family's life, it was this man right here. This is Amber's grandfather. When you look at this guy, Amber keeps this guy in her Bible. This is a man when, when we think about his testimony, he's a voice. This is a, a picture of him at a wedding, and this is a picture, like, this picture could be taken from any wedding because he did the same thing at every wedding. When, when people got up and they proclaimed how great the couple was and how awesome it is that they love one another and that they've co- covenanted together and they've made these vows together, He would stand up every single time and say, I believe the most important thing we can do here today is make sure that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He prepared people for the way of the Lord. He got up and he testified over and over and over again 
do you know Jesus Christ? He had a message. He exuded this message. He lived this message. You didn't have to convince him. No one had to tell him, get up and do this. No one had to be like, hey, just so you know, like this is what you do. We schedule a slot for you, you know, at the about 1230 hour. And you're, that's when you're going to get up and you're going to do your gospel presentation. It doesn't really matter. He's going to find his way to a mic. He's going to get up because he's a spirit-filled man. He's a bold man. He's a dependent man. And he's going to get up and he's going to preach the gospel and he's going to sit down. He's a voice. And he played a significant role in a lot of people's lives. And that's all he was, a voice. He pointed people to Jesus. Jeff Vanderstelt in his book, Gospel Fluency, says these two quotes. You talk about what you love, and you love what you talk about. So here's what I would tell you. Fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with the Jesus of the Bible. You'll, you'll talk about him. The gospel won't fluently come out of you unless it's changed you first. You met Jesus. Have you met him? Then you'll have a message. Lastly, we see the mission. In John 1.24, we see now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet, John answered him, I baptize with water. But among you one stands who you do not know. And even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie, these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And basically, John was coming and he was baptizing people. People were confessing their sins. He said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. People would confess their sins, repent of their sins. They would believe the gospel, meaning they would believe in the Jesus who was to come. They would believe in the Messiah who was to come. And he was baptizing them. And he was preparing the way of the Lord. This was his mission. This was something he gave his life to. Can I tell you that we all need something to give our life to? We, we need to be captivated by Jesus in a way that he absolutely just fills the horizon and go, there is nothing more significant than giving my life solely, completely, wholly to Jesus. That we would surrender every aspect. When I was 18 years old and I met Jesus, the, the best like the, the most significant change immediately that happened in my life, it gave me purpose. It filled every single day with significance because I had a mission. I believe everybody is looking for a mission. Everybody's looking for something to give their lives to. And a person without a mission, a man without a mission is a dangerous, foolish man. A man without responsibility is a dangerous man. We need responsibility. We're all looking for a kingdom to, to, to fight for, someone to slay. And here's the deal. God has invited us into the biggest, best mission we could ever be invited into. He's invited us in the, into the mission of seeing people restored and redeemed forever. Life changed, life transformed forever. Tomorrow morning, you go to a job, and whatever job that is, you're there as a missionary. You have a mission. God has placed you. And, and don't, like, belittle that. Don't look in like, well, hey, we're not, I'm not a pastor. I would say you have an amazing opportunity wherever you go. You've been gifted. You've been given a certain shape, spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, passions, experiences. God has shaped you in a very specific way 
to utilize you in your neighborhood, in your, in your, your workplace, in your school, wherever it is, God has a mission for you. He's inviting you in. He has a mission. Now, maybe if you look at all of this and you go, man, this just seems like we, we set the bar of Jesus, uh, of John the Baptist, and it's like up here. Like, he's like the number one disciple. Jesus called him the greatest. Like, how, how in the world can any of us match up to that? And, and maybe you feel the, the burden of that. But I, I would say, like, we looked at the man, we looked at his message, we looked at his mission, but all of this was accomplished because of the meeting. His meeting with Jesus is what compelled him, is what gave him the capacity, which is what filled him to be able to live out this way. None of us can accomplish this out of the flesh. It says in verse 29, the next day he came, he saw Jesus coming toward him. And so here John the Baptist is testifying, hey, this guy Jesus, like this is who I'm proclaiming. This is who I'm sharing. This is what my mission is. I'm just pointing people to him. And look, here he comes. And behold, behold, this take hold, open your eyes, look and see the Lamb of God. Now, Here's, here's a, I'll tell you in a very candid way, like, what we get excited about, okay? So we follow this YouTube sensation called the Buttery Bros. I talk about CrossFit, all right? The Buttery Bros are, like, ridiculous fools. They actually live here in Salt Lake City. But, you know, they have 250,000 subscribers on YouTube. They do crazy stunts, like they go and run a mile drinking glasses of milk in between and eating raw hot dogs, all right? This is, you're like, why would you watch this, all right? It's entertainment purposes, Okay, but we'll see them around town. They drive a truck, Buttery Bros. You'll we'll see their truck, and I'm I'm like, kids, look, it's the Buttery Bros, and we're super excited. All right, and and I'm going, this is this is the closest I have. Like you know, we we look and we see their truck occasionally throughout town, and we we point at it, and we're like, look, it's the Buttery Bros. I can't imagine. I can't imagine what it would be like. You've given your life. From birth, this has been your story and your testimony. This story, he's about to account for the baptism of Jesus. And he's like, I didn't know him. But I met him, and the way he was revealed to me was through this baptism. But I want you guys to know, like, look. Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away sins. Like, that's significant. This Lamb of God is, as people who had celebrated Passover year after year after year, this idea of the Lamb of God would be significant. The one who gives the ability for life. The one who takes away our sin the one who forgives, the one who is our perfect substitute, the one who stands in our place, the one who is going to go to the cross, the one who is going to, to atone for every sin that I've ever committed. There he is. Now that's somebody I want to meet. This encounter with Jesus as he points to him, he's, he's like, I, I get it. Like, behold him. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. This was like, it's because he's always existed. 
I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. And this was something that happened that preceded this event. He's like, this guy that I'm pointing at, this guy who's, who's the Lamb of God, this, this guy who, you, who you're seeing right here in front of you, I saw the Spirit descend from him, heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he who you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I've bore witness that this is the Son of God. What's unique about John's account is this is the only gospel account that says that the Spirit of God remained on him. All of them say that it descended. Some say that it rested. This is the only one that said it remained. And what that tells us is that all of the works that Jesus accomplished, all of the works that Jesus did, he did them because he was filled with the Spirit of God. And he's saying that John the Baptist has been baptizing, that he's been baptizing with water, but there's one who comes after me, and he's going to baptize, but you're going to be baptized with the Spirit. And what the word baptize means, you're going to be immersed. You're going to be saturated. You're going to be completely dunked in the Spirit of God. And this is amazing news because when we think about, God, we, we want this. We, we need this. We want to see some of these things. Like, we want to experience this in our life. It's like you, you can't do it apart from the Spirit. Everything that Jesus did, he, he did because he was completely filled with the Spirit. And he said, he's coming to baptize you. And I'm just going, man, if we were to experience that, if we were to truly Know that. And if we were to see, if you look in verse 29 through 34, look at how many times it talks about see, saw, seen. Like, this is someone who's been captivated. That's what we need. We need that type of picture of Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, And we all, with unveiled face, we behold the glory of the Lord. And in doing so, we're being transformed. We're being changed. Our lives are being altered into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. In Isaiah 40, as Greg read earlier, it says, as a prophecy of John the Baptist, it says, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all the flesh shall see it together. That's our prayer. That's, that's our hope, is that even as we open the gospel of John, as we journey through, that all of us in our flesh will see Jesus together. I believe that if we'll see Jesus in that way, if we can become captivated by Jesus, that we'll become bold men 
humble men, dependent men. I believe we'll be people with a message to share. I believe we'll have a mission worth giving our life to if we'll have a meeting with Jesus. We can never live this way apart from the Spirit of God. There's a a moment where we come and, and we just say, I'm nothing. I must decrease. He must increase. I have a message to declare. I have a mission to live for. I want to encounter Jesus. I want to behold Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus. Now, I would tell you, there's an initial meeting that happens in the life of people where they meet Jesus for the first time. And some of you who are here this morning, maybe even this morning, the Jesus of the Bible is is being revealed, that you're coming to understand and, and you're coming to grips with who this Jesus of the Bible truly is. And I pray this morning that you're encountering him, that you're meeting him. If we can help in a way to introduce you to him, it would be our greatest joy. But even some of us here today, we read in that passage, 2 Corinthians 3.18, that we are being transformed degree by degree. It's not a one-time meeting and it's over. we got to constantly become captivated with Jesus. We need to constantly fix our eyes on Jesus. We need to constantly behold Jesus. We need to constantly see Jesus and allow Jesus to transform us. Allow Jesus to make us into the man or woman of God he desires to make us, to give us a message to proclaim, to give us a mission to live for. I pray that we'll meet Jesus that way this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray as our worship team comes forward that In the next few moments, as we worship, as we sing, as we declare these truths, that it would be more than just words on a screen, but it would be a a way of painting a picture of Jesus, that we could accurately see you, that we could behold you, that all of us as flesh would see Jesus. Lord, we want to meet you. We came here today, we came here, we gathered here today because we want to meet you. We want to experience you. We want to see you. So Father, help our eyes to be open. Help us to truly see who you are so it would completely reorient who we are and what we give our lives to. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. And I want to ask you as, as a way of response this morning. When I think about our, our prayer time here at Ecclesia, I want to invite you to take some application this morning. Number one, by reminding yourself that I am not the Christ, which means I'm not self-sufficient, which means many of us all across the room have many needs And what I would invite you to do this morning is to have someone pray for you. And I can tell you right now, we probably don't have enough people in the back ready to pray. I hope that's a problem. And I hope people will step up and pray for one another. 
But we come and we, we gather and we re- rehearse these words of saying, I am not the Christ. Now's an opportunity to live that out. So when we go for prayer on Sunday morning, we're declaring, I'm not the Christ, which means I need the Christ. And I need someone to be invited alongside me to help usher that in and to ask the Lord to meet me in that. We're not seeking to meet that for you. We're asking the power and spirit of God to meet that for you. And so for us to neglect that opportunity, either one, we don't think we have a need. And we already said we're not the Christ, so I hope you believe that. Two, we don't believe in the power of prayer. Or three, maybe we're just a little bit uncomfortable, and I would think that's probably the camp that most of us fall in. I'm going to encourage you to take a step of faith this morning. Have someone pray for you. We all have needs. We're all dependent upon another. Praise be to God that he gave us a Savior who meets that. So we're going to stand, we're going to sing, and I'm going to encourage us to pray. All right? Father, be with us in this time. Meet us in our time of need. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's respond.